Hi, this is a podcast with the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday, the 19th of February. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us talk to Stephen Main for Brass Tax about the recent corporate scandals in Australia. Oh, also, Dr. Jen um, talked to us about playing Mozart to your baby and whether that's worth it. Also, Simone Boldy reviewed the film The Truffle Hunters. And uh, Daniel had the day off on Thursday because he was unwell. So we had Ladies, Ladies Day. Day. Uh, uh, Digger was also with us this week for Down and Dirty, talking how to grow herbs with a hard H. Absolutely. Uh, Dr Tanya Hill was there on Ladies' Day chatting Planetarium Nights at ScienceWorks and we're going to include the Breakfasters Breakdown Quiz, which happens every single Friday. Woohoo! Triple R. Talk accountability of CEOs and board members. We're joined this week for our explainer segment, Brass Tax, by shareholder activist, gambling reform advocate, councillor for the city of Manningham, and founder of Crikey, Stephen Main. Stephen, welcome back to Breakfasters. Thank you very much. Great to be here. You've uh, you've been following Crown for decades, decades, uh, and the Crown Resorts was deemed unsuitable to operate its new Sydney casino after month-long public inquiry. What did you make of that and what does the finding tell you about Crown in Melbourne and the behaviour of the board? Well, um, firstly, I was, I've been surprised all the way through this inquiry that we finally had a gambling regulator with some teeth, uh, you know, setting up a, a serious inquiry that did some serious damage. Um, but I was also surprised at the scale of the money laundering and poor behaviour that was going on at Crown Melbourne. Uh, shocked that the Victorian regulator and the, the Andrews government has been so slack on Crown and surprised that the regulator came out and said James Packer should be forced to sell down to less than uh, 10% and basically that more than half of the board need to be removed and they, they shouldn't be given a licence until they've demonstrated that they, they can change and comply. So I've been surprised all the way along, but I think it's a good thing. So why do you suppose it took Lead Justice Patricia Bergen to, to lay all this out? Up, you know, why did it take so long? Well, I guess the political power of Crown and the Packer family have been a feature of Australian politics and business and media for 40 or 50 years. And um, so Crown basically had a bit of a, a licence to do whatever they liked. Weak regulators in Melbourne and Perth, lots of political people on the payroll, lots of political donations and lots of media-friendly coverage, particularly from the Murdoch press, given that James Packer is so close to Lachlan Murdoch and basically gets a green light from the Murdoch press to do whatever he likes. So um, that all changed with the 60 Minutes, Nick McKenzie, Age, Sydney Morning Herald, big investigative hit in 2019. And uh, whenever you get an independent inquiry with open hearings, it can go anywhere. And 50, 50 days of hearings laid crown bare to be a shoddy outfit with massive money laundering and dreadful governance practices and poor risk management. And so that's why we landed where we landed. And, and Justice Bergen did a fantastic job. She's got a great forensic mind and she didn't hold back. And uh, what she's recommending uh, should be fully implemented. Mm. So we've got board members resigning. I think Andrew Dimitri was maybe the last. Is that 
is that a start? Is that a good start? Is that an, enough, or what's the story? Do you think? Okay, so we went into this process with uh, with ten directors. Uh, we finally had an independent chair in Helen Coonan, who did a bit of a board coup against the Packer fixer John Alexander in January last year. JA was the executive chairman for the previous three years and had been a Packer loyalist for for 25 years, having made $100 million basically doing whatever the Packers wanted. So we finally got an independent chair in Helen Coonan, but we still, we've only lost three of the 10 directors so far in, in two of the Packer nominees, Guy Jalland and Michael Johnston, uh, and then Andrew Demetrio uh, late last week. So there's still another two or three that need to go. Harold Mitchell, uh, the deputy chair, Professor John Horvath, who's signalled that he will go when he almost was voted off the board at last year's AGM. And the CEO, Ken Barton, also needs to be punted. So they need to get on with those changes. Basically, there's only three or four of the current directors who can stay, and so they literally need to find another three or four directors. And so far, they've only appointed one new director, a guy called Nigel Morrison, who was Chief Operating Officer at Crown for for four or five years, up until the year 2000, and then did 20 years in the gambling industry, but is untainted by the current scandals at Crown. So he's a good new director to appoint. Mm. How how big is Crown or how important is it to the tax the state government collects and does that have a, a bearing on some of the maybe lax overseeing? Oh, look, it's only, it's, it's, it's only a bit over $100 million a year, so it's not as big as people think. Like, it's not comparable with pokies. I mean, the government, Victorian government gets about $2 billion a year from gambling and Crown is you know, not a lot over $100 million of that. Um, so the, the bigger feature of Crown's power is that it's the biggest single-site employer in the country, uh, employs, you know, many thousands of people at South Bank there, and, and that gives it political power uh, as well. And also, you know, it hosts all the big events in Melbourne. You know, it's, it's double the size of the biggest casino in Vegas. So just its sheer presence in the CBD, hosting the Journalism Awards, hosting the Brownlow, hosting the Logies until it went to the Gold Coast, it just makes it incredibly powerful. And governments are just too scared to take it on, particularly because of the presence of James Packer and his long record of, of uh, you know, rumbling and blueing with politicians who don't do, do what he wants. Mm. And with the resignations, what what is the effect of that in the Australian business community? Uh, do board members pay attention and does it does it change anything? Oh, yeah. Look, I've, I've never seen uh, an inquiry quite like this one where individual directors were cross-examined for many hours on end in public and then were excoriated or had their credibility brutally assessed. So the entire director community has been watching the Crown scenario uh, with great fascination. They've been appalled by the lack of risk management, the various scandals that have gone on, and um, they're now trying to find three or four new directors prepared to take on uh, the cleanup job, and I think it's going to become a business case study of poor practice and poor risk management for a long time, with the biggest takeout being that you shouldn't have a board which is basically controlled by a billionaire who, I mean, James Packer only controls, only owns 37% of Crown these days, but every single director on that board he handpicked, that most of them are his mates, you know, so it's just bad practice to allow one bloke to dominate like that, particularly when he's he's been going through a bad bad space Personally, he's not even in Australia, and his own approach to governance is pretty shoddy. So uh, you just shouldn't allow sort of dodgy billionaires to control public companies as if it's their private company when he only owns 37% and someone's got to represent the other 63%. And that hasn't been done properly for years because it's basically been Packer's private plaything. 
What's the uh, benefit of transparency to shareholders broadly? Oh, well, transparency is is good because it allows the shareholders, the sixty thousand of them, to know what's going on. It allows regulators to know what's going on. I mean, there's an old saying that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Um, Crown has historically been incredibly secretive, uh, incredibly combative. I mean, you know, they, they for ages they refused to even webcast their AGM. You know, they used to refuse me, me being able to record the meeting on my phone when I go to it. Uh, they don't have a media person you can ring up. You know, they're just a Packer is just a very secretive sort of guy, doesn't believe in disclosure, and 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 all sorts of dodgy stuff was going on in the dark. You know, mm. the hundreds of millions of dollars of, of money, criminal money being money laundered through Crown Melbourne and uh, and its affiliates in Macau. And uh, it was just, if they'd been more transparent about that with the regulators, with the public, with the board, it wouldn't have gone on for so many years. And how incestuous... Are boards across Australia like uh, you keep seeing names pop up in different spots and you know I saw even Christine Holgate is on the board of Collingwood and uh, for, for instance how how much transparency is there with boards and are, are, are these people impressive oh well look like with any any people some are good and some are not Look, it is too incestuous, and Packer particularly populated his board with uh, uh, people with high profiles, his mates, and people who could influence the political process. So a Harold Mitchell, rich guy, well-known in advertising, well-known politically, having Harold on the board gives Crown credibility. People won't talk about gambling addiction uh, with Harold. And then sometimes directors are put on as a thank you. So Andrew Demetrio was put on the board after he um, he retired as the AFL CEO. Packer had had good dealings with him at the AFL over media rights and gambling deals. So I sort of think there was a little bit of a thank you there. Um, and the same with Helen Coonan. She was the communications minister who had deregulated media ownership in Australia after John Howard got control of the Senate thanks to Steve Fielding's vote in 2004. And this allowed Packer to sell off his old media assets, the, the TV and magazine business, for $5.5 billion. So straight away when she retired from Parliament, he put her on his board within a few weeks. And for me, that's just a sort of a thank you deal. Thank you for your regulatory favour in the media space. You're a good door opener. Here, let me pay you two or 300000 a year to sit on my crown board and give me uh, credibility and, uh, and access to political people. So are there any instances that you can point to where corporate scandals have transformed or improved corporate governance and business behaviour? Oh, look, it happens all the time. I mean, you, you never waste a scandal. I mean, whether it's, uh, James, whether it's James Hardy or, or AMP or NAB, foreign exchange, I, I mean, it usually does fix. Um, you know, uh, Westpac's money laundering, uh, Commonwealth Bank's uh, uh, money laundering as well. So... This will be another case of that. The, the, the money laundering laws will change. There'll be far less money laundering in Australia. Packer will be forced to sell down, which will be a good thing. Crown will become a conventionally governed company controlled by no individual. It will be better regulated. And the directors who, and executives who did the wrong thing will be ousted. So I'm absolutely confident that uh, you will get good results from this scandal. We need more scandals like this to improve governance in Australia. Mm. And and turning our mind to Collingwood, what what have you made of the fallout there, and what impact might that have? Well, I think it's another example of the boys' network. I mean, uh, it, and it's, it's quite a connection with Crown because 
Eddie Maguire's original sponsor, pretty much, is is James Packer. I mean, they gave Eddie a go with the footy show. He brought in the cash with the footy show, even though Nine didn't have the rights. He got to know Kerry and James Packer through that process. When they got the casino licence, Eddie Maguire was the MC of choice for Crown. I remember going to the 1998 New Year's Eve party that Lloyd Williams put on. Eddie Maguire was the MC. So he basically should never have been allowed to become Collingwood president because he's got massive conflicts of interest. I mean, with his media rights deal and his Maguire Media TV production company, he's always had endless conflicts of interest. But because he was protected by the Packers and because he was protected by the Murdochs and because he had political influence, particularly with Labor, but also with the likes of Ron Walker and Jeff Kennett, he basically was able to stay for 22 years despite appalling governance conflicts of interest and endless scandals where Eddie had his foot in his mouth every second week, it seemed. Um, and so finally he's gone and, uh, and and Collingwood might be able to be normally done rather than being the cult of Eddie Maguire, which uh, was, a, was a, an embarrassment to the Melbourne Boys Club system that he was able to prosper and survive for 22 years without the obvious flaws, conflicts, governance and culture issues being dealt with until now. And just finally, what do you reckon the role is of journalism in all of this? Does it has it shown the importance of you know keeping keeping tabs on everything that's going on? Is it up to journalists? Oh, look, you can't underestimate the power and the importance of journalism. I mean, Eddie Maguire basically, you know, apart from being sponsored by the Packers, it was his power from journalism that got him as far as it did. Um, With journalism, you know, regulators did nothing about Crown for years until Nick McKenzie came along and did a one-hour show on 60 Minutes and a massive hit in the age in the SMH, working with whistleblowers and and leaked documents to blow up Crown. So journalism is the cheapest form of royal commission and good governance that you can get. It matters more than ever, um, and that's why you can't have cowboys like the Murdochs and the Packers owning and in control of journalism because they often manipulate it to their own ends and look at the way that the Murdochs, um, you know, backed in Trump, Brexit, the second Iraq war. I mean, they're just totally unfit to be in control of any form of journalism, which they've turned into basically uh, partisan political operations, uh, like a political party with the way they're tied up with the Liberal Party, uh, the Conservatives in the UK and uh, the Trump Republicans in the US. So journalism matters but you can't allow it to be owned by cowboys. So we just need independently owned, not-for-profit or government-owned like the ABC, Triple R, fantastic, and commercial media that doesn't have any billionaire owning it. And unfortunately, Kerry Stokes at Channel 7, uh, Rupert Murdoch and uh, the Packers over the years, we've had far too many billionaires owning and manipulating the public discussion through their media ownership in Australia, and it's about time that was put to an end. All right, Stephen Main, it's so great to chat, and thanks heaps for your time. Thanks, great to chat. Have a great day. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Dr. Jen's here to brighten our morning. Uh, that's not why you're here, it's just a happy byproduct. But anyway, <laughs> morning, Dr. Jen. Good morning, Daniel. Except a moment ago, you told me I sounded sad. So I that didn't was, say that. That was Geraldine. Oh, sorry, Jez. Oh, um, dear, Daniel, how rude of me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an, you know, it was an audio thing where you sounded really quiet and it was just uh, really 
you know, but it's fixed now. Yeah, that, that's not like me to sound quiet or sad. I know. <laughs> I was very shocked and surprised. It's so. a good segue, though, because I wanted to talk about sound today. Do you guys remember the Mozart effect, this idea that, you know, if you uh, have a, an unborn baby that you should put, um, you know, headphones on your belly as a yeah. woman so the baby could listen to Mozart and it'll make them smarter? Did it work? <laughs> Well, you know, I thought I'd better try and find out what the what the rationale for this was. And it turns out there was a paper, it was published back in 1993 in one of, you know, the top journals, so published in Nature. And essentially they had 36 university kids and they got some of them to listen to 10 minutes of a Mozart sonata, some of them to listen to 10 minutes of a relaxation track, and some of them to listen to 10 minutes of silence before they were asked to do these tricky spatial kind of awareness tasks. So, you know, those tasks where you have to be able to imagine shapes in your mind. So I think the exact task was have a piece of paper, fold it a whole lot of times, cut out certain bits, and then you have to be able to predict what the piece of paper will look like when you unfold it again. So quite tricky. And it turned out that the students of these 36 students, the ones who had listened to Mozart, were way better at doing (gasps) Interesting. Well, kind of interesting, except that they showed the effect only lasted for 15 minutes. And how did that idea turn into you need to play an unborn baby Mozart so they'll end up to be successful in life? Like 15 minutes of being able to imagine what a piece of paper looks like. It's kind of a bit different. And and I found some really amazing examples. So apparently in 1998, the governor of Georgia mandated that mothers of newborns had to be given CDs of classical music so that they could play their babies' classical music. And then I read about a farmer in Italy, a mozzarella farmer, who played Mozart to his cows three times a day so they <laughs> produced better milk. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do you guys think that we should all play babies Mozart? I mean, it's yeah, nice. Just, it's not, you know, yeah. it's calming. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. of it, not all of it. Just go to a dodgy train station. They pump it through there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to keep the youths away or to just calm, <laughs> calm them down. Yeah. Just all these pregnant chicks hanging out near its Frankston train station speakers. Anyway. With headphones on their tummy. I That's say so that with funny. love. Talking about keeping the youths away because obviously there's been so many studies since 1993. One of them didn't find any evidence at all for a Mozart effect, but instead they they found a blur effect because the kids who listen to pop music listen to blurred. They did better oh. on these sorts of things as opposed to listening to music. But anyway, basically it all comes out that the researcher who originally did this work has been quoted as saying, I don't know how this took off. This is all an urban myth. There's the tiniest bit of evidence that listening to something that kind of gets your your brain firing up, basically some music that kind of gets you thinking before yeah. you do a difficult task, it might help. But, you know, this whole idea that there's this critical period in a baby's life and you have to expose them to something as specific as Mozart to make them intelligent in future, you know, that's all just a total myth. But then it kind of led me on to another lot of thinking because then I thought, well, you know, is it because we're all really attracted to this idea of Mozart as a genius because we know he was a child prodigy, right? So you guys know Mozart was already composing at the age of five. He was performing for imperial courts by the age of six. Like, do you reckon that's why it's Mozart that we just love? We've linked this idea of Mozart's music and being brilliant. It seems feasible. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I. I don't want. think people have thought too much about it. I just. Think, but, but, I think they just think yeah. that smart people listen to Mozart, so my baby will be smart. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Parents will try anything. 
The original, exactly, Daniel, the original researcher says she reckons the whole thing can be put down to the fact that essentially parents will do anything to give their kids an advantage. And so if there's any suggestion that something as easy and pleasant to do as listening to music will make your kids superior in the future, why wouldn't you do it? But then I wondered about this whole idea of, you know, the reason Mozart was so good at music, presumably that's because he started learning when he was so incredibly young. And we all have this sense that the earlier you start learning music, the better. So is it not just listening Mm. to music, but the earlier you start learning music? And so I Googled it and, you know, there's all these really, there's lots of pressure out there. There's all these articles out there that basically saying, if you want your kid to be a good musician later in life, they have to start learning by the age of five Mm. or they have to start learning by the age of seven. And there was this one study that scanned kids kids brains and the kids that had started learning a musical instrument before the age of seven they showed that their brain had actually thickened like their brain had become more active in the areas of things like um, language skills being able to undertake um, you know difficult tasks I just thought you know how much pressure is oh are you all frozen it's just me here okay (laughs) Um, I'm going to give it five seconds and then hopefully Dr. Jen and Jez and Daniel all come back on Breakfasters this morning. The connection was lost. I'm going to... But I heard it. Oh. No, Mon, it's your fault that time. You're back now. Okay. Everyone else is fine. Right. Oh, well, you listen back oh, to the oi. on-demand. Everyone's back. Okay, let's keep going as if nothing happened. No one was listening anyway. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> all that sound it's all good anyway the moral of the story i want to tell you the whole place we're trying to get to is this study that just came out that can take all the pressure off so there's a paper that just came out that looked at the relationship between the age you start learning music and how good you are later so it looked at musical ability how good you are at learning melodies and pitch and rhythm um, and how you know if you're a professional musician how highly you achieve you know how many of your um, compositions get performed how many record deals you get all of that sort of stuff and it turns out that once you take into account a whole lot of factors and this is a really good study they studied lots of professional musicians and they also studied lots of sets of twins to look at the role of the the environment Mm. you grow up in and your genes and the 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 great outcome of this whole study was that essentially it all comes down to things that aren't how early you started learning but things like how many hours have you spent practicing Mm. if you start learning early you've got more more you know hours in your day and months and years in your life to have just practiced more so it comes down to how much you practice and it comes down to if you're born into a musical family and you get exposed to music and you you might have a genetic predisposition to be good at music, you know, there's lots of things that account for why you end up being a brilliant musician that has nothing to do with, oh, I started learning at the age of four. So I think the best evidence mm. now is there's not this critical, sensitive time that we have to expose kids to musical instruments. Just You know, if they enjoy it, do it. And if you're lucky enough to be a musical family, chances are your kids will end up musical. But, you know, we all have to practice. If we want to be good at things, we have to practice. So So they've just got more time because they start sooner. Is that it? Exactly. If you start Mm -hmm. practicing, if you start learning piano when you're five, of course, by the age of 20, you've probably done a hell of a lot more mm. hours of practice than someone who started learning at 15. But that doesn't mean that if you're 15 or 25 or 85 and you think learning piano would be an enjoyable, fun thing to do, it's not like you'll never be any good at it. It just comes down to practice and interest. So I think there's a good ending to this story. Music's nice. fun. Do it whenever you want. Yeah. Do you, did you – what's your musical ability? 
Um, I learned piano as a kid and I sing a lot. I still sing. I sing in a choir. I mean, music gives me a lot of joy, but I wouldn't say I was terribly good at it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's really my aim in life, though, to be good at it. My kids learn music, but, you know, we didn't force them to start at the age of two or anything. Did you play the Mozart Mm. in the womb? No. No, I didn't. That was the first mistake. Failed, Mon. Do you do uh, choir practice still over Zoom? Oh, you really can't do it over Zoom because of the delay. It's just impossible. So we have the whole exciting, you know, you sit in your own house and sing to yourself, but you listen to the choir director. But, you know, we got to go back to choir for a whole, you know, week and (laughs) 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 tomorrow we we await the news, right? That's brilliant. And, of course, there's pushback again on Frankston Station. I'm not saying Frankston Station's dodgy. (laughs) It's been redeveloped. It's a perfect spot for a picnic now. Oh, um, Daniel, you're in the thick of it. <laughs> Talk to Jen. Thanks so much. Triple R. The wonderful Simonia Baldy is here. Hello. Yay. Nice to see you. Lovely to see you, ladies. Sorry not to see Dan. Yeah, I'm sorry that you didn't get more of an um, – Daniel always does such great intros. Yeah, such colourful introductions. Yeah, and I'm – He does. Hello. And then I cut him down. <laughs> <laughs> Proper wall. Yeah. Anti-improv girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I like it too. It's good. This, the film that you're talking about, um, I've watched the preview and um, it looks amazing. Is it? Yes. Great. Yes, it is. Tell me it's all about it. The Truffle Hunters is a, a an Italian film made by a New York-based photographer called Michael Dweck, um, who's like an ad guy. Huh. Um, and he made a film with his co-director called The Last Race, which is about a, um, uh, a stock car uh, track shutting down like back in 2009 and then after they finished making the film they wanted to go on a holiday and they decided to pick the most obscure kind of location in Italy that they could in northern Italy at the foot of the Piedmont Mountains and they went and hung out in this place with no tourists for two weeks and one of the things that the locals were saying to them while they were there was you need to go and Go truffle. Sorry, I'm pausing because my dog's just decided to play soccer with a tennis ball. <laughs> I'm going to ignore him. Um, <laughs> but it's apropos as will become apparent. Anyway, so they went for this holiday. Everyone said, you've got to go into the forest. There are truffle hunters out there. But nobody knew exactly who the truffle hunters were or what the network was surrounding these people that hunted this extraordinarily rare type of white truffle, the Alba truffle, that can't be grown in labs, can't be commercially mm. produced, can only be dug out of the forest by, as it turns out, these geriatric experts and their beloved dogs mm. uh, who are like octogenarians at this point, many of them, and are not training anyone to understand how they do the work of finding these (gasps) extraordinarily rare truffles. So Dweck and his his co-director were like, this is, we reckon there might be a film here. And they spent the better part of a year um, trying to gain the trust of the people in town so they could, in the first instance, just find out who these truffle hunters actually are. And then slowly, meticulously, with incredible care and visual splendour, document their 
absolutely adorable lives. Um, so that's what the film's about. It's about these old men who hunt truffles in northern Italy with their gorgeous dogs that they're absolutely devoted to. That's and, given that they don't want to share their secrets of truffle hunting, how on earth did they agree, <laughs> agree to be filmed? Yeah. Well, there's, there are some interviews. They don't go into it in the documentary. In the documentary, you are just dropped into this world. Mm. Um, in f- interviews that the directors have done around the documentary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Still like dog ball action going on here <laughs> in the domestic list. Is it a ball or is it a white truffle? <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> just heard dogs and he thinks maybe it's about him. <laughs> So anyway, there are some interviews that basically explain how they, again, really painfully kind of won the trust of these people and explain what they were doing. Because these are old men who are not going to, like, sit down and watch someone's, like, past catalogue of films and understand their place in the commercial photography world. So mm. it took a really long time. Filming took a really long time. Um, and they won their trust. And so what you see in the movie is primarily uh, there are three different truffle men who <laughs> – most of him are kind of 70, 80. There's one who's 87 years old, changes mm. himself pretty early in the film, and his doctor's like, how about you don't go out travel hunting at night in the forest anymore? And one of the only women in the film, his wife, is like, how about you don't go out travel hunting at night in the forest anymore? <laughs> and he's like, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's um, there's a there's a, an amazing man who looks to be in his kind of 70s who's a drummer and has like a passel of dogs and just a wild crop of hair. And so his scenes of trouble hunting are intercut with him doing these like wild drum solos at a kit that's set up outside of his like forest-facing dilapidated home. I saw that and, in the in the preview and I appreciated that he had lights on himself as well, <laughs> like it's stage lights. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're all pretty wacky, which is one of the things that makes the film just so unbelievably. What did he just like? I died watching this film. It's such a bomb. It's so beautiful. There is a world surrounding these men and their dogs that feels uh, sinister because, first of all, they, they closely guard their secrets of where to hunt the truffles and there's this kind of unseen threat all the time of people trying to encroach on their territory and poison their dogs, which as a dog lover is, you know, kind of hard to watch. Mm. Um, and then you also get this kind of uh, engorged world of extreme wealth that's a couple of circles removed who are the people that are paying up to €4,500 for a kilogram of these truffles, which is not what the men see because there are various other guys who act as uh, emissaries between that world and theirs and kind of buy their truffles on dark street corners late at night. So you've got this beautiful simplicity of these guys' worlds and they live in these houses that a set designer could not in their wildest dreams come up with, like crumbling pastels, rusted bed frames, you know, the Jesus Jesus of the Burning Heart kind of on the walls. Uh, and because uh, one of the directors has this, has this background in uh, commercial photography, very, very high in commercial photography, you can kind of see it on the screen. Like these shots look like the most beautiful compositions when in fact what the filmmakers were doing was just spending loads of time with their subjects, figuring out what it was about the rhythms of their lives that they liked and then just setting up a camera in one 
position with amazing natural light and just letting it roll for two hours, which they maybe got, you know, two minutes of film. Mm -hmm. So it looks incredible. The men are adorable and funny and their relationship with their dogs is just hilarious and heartbreaking. There's one in particular who's like, who will I leave my fortune to? I've never wanted a wife. Now it's time to get one, but I need to find someone who will take care of you, my beautiful Bebetta, who's his dog. Like <laughs> that is his end stage life planning is like who's going to inherit the dog, uh, who's worthy of inheriting the dog. So, so are these men are these men wealthy? Like if it's a you know such a rare commodity, is, are they making money from it? Is it just for the love of the hunt? They don't. They're not living in splendor. Mm. It, their their homes are like crumbling around them. And that they themselves seem to be incredibly simple, not particularly well educated. However, well, I don't want to give away details of what is a very kind of slight film in terms of its narrative. They probably have a little bit of money in the bank relative to the people around them, mm. but they're not living like fat cats. The fat cats, again, are like one or two circles away. Mm. The, the uh, truffle dealers and the rich customers that they have who come for like experimental tastings and who are being educated. Like there is, and that world purely by comparison, you don't see a huge amount of it, but it just seems, just seems yucky complete, you know, and, and, and um, like it's gone awry compared to the simplicity. And these men seem to be driven by a passion for the hunt. Mm. They don't need the money. They just love being out there to a man. I mean, it's probably not quite as, in reality, it's probably not quite as romantic mm. as that, but it, it certainly seems that way in this film. Mm. Um, it, you know, this, I've been watching two things this week. Um, I've seen <laughs> a few things this week, but I've been watching the new Adam Curtis documentary, which I won't go into, but it's like yet another episode from the British documentarian of like, we all live in hell and here is an eight-hour series about how we got there, mm. which is great. <laughs> 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 In these unprecedented times <laughs> of ongoing uncertainty, the truffle hunters just did something to my heart when I watched it that I just didn't even know that I needed. Like it just yeah. such a sense of like peace and and really like simple beauty and joy. And for that reason, I just think everyone should go to the movies, support our local cinemas and go and see this lovely film. Well, yeah, like I just watching the um the trailer like 20 minutes ago um my day is sorted i'm yeah, gonna she's go locked s- it in. <laughs> yeah it's like halfway through i'm like i've got to go see this today <laughs> and it's like even in the trailer you know you can see how beautiful it looks and also there's no talking in a bit that tells enough of the story to go oh well i'm mm. i'm in yeah and totally. now you've really hit that hit that nail on the head and i'm 100 yeah If you need to give someone like a little bit of a lift, you can just send them the trailer. But the great thing about the film as well is though, even though there's not a, even though the trailer is a really clear indication of what's going on in the film, the film just extends that feeling for an hour and a half. It's, it's like. Amazing. It's a a beauty. Oh, what good timing to come out of a five day lockdown and straight into the local cinema. So uh, thanks so much, Simone. That was Truffle Hunters in cinemas now. Catch you next time. See ya. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You're listening to Breakfasters on Triple R with Mon and Geraldine. Ladies' Day today. Yes. 
I will insist on calling it that as much as I can. Uh, we'll be back after this. Triple R presents the Ballarat Beer Festival, featuring over 200 tasty brews, cider, award-winning local wines and a huge variety of gourmet food trucks. Plus, beer workshops and trivia, musical bingo, activities for kids and live music all day, including acid country, rock and blues. Easy walking distance from the Wendaree train station. The Ballarat Beer Festival, this Saturday from 12 till 9pm. Tickets available from ballaratbeerfestival.com.au. Triple R sponsors. It is Ladies' Day on breakfasts this morning. Um, Everybody's favourite day. Yeah. Now all the men are out of the room. Let's talk about... Let's talk about bras. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, they're expensive. Oh, um, know oh, we didn't mean to go there, but... Geez, I'd like to be able to... Like I, I was saying th- this morning um, how I was very tempted to go skinny dipping when I was at the beach, walking on the beach yesterday. And I was like, it was like, man, if I was a bloke, I'd just... It's, it's so easy for them. And you said, well, would you go in in your bra? I'm like, yeah, but then your bra's Your bra's wet. all wet. Your bra's all wet. I can't... And I'm, I'm not one of those people that likes to let the puppies out and run free. <laughs> so... They like to be contained in a with a very um, short lead. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't lying when I called it Ladies' Day, was I? Look no. at this. <laughs> anyway, I felt I was saying I felt like um, uh, uh, what's his name in Two Hands? Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger in Two Hands when he was on the beach, and he. He's looking around and Such goes, a no, do it. He, he still got to go in, didn't he? Took he just went down in his jocks and went for a lovely swim. His anyway. stuff got stolen, anyway. Yeah, so yeah, we all learn a lesson. <laughs> um, last night, uh, Kath, it was last night together because I was coming back um, back here, and so we'll have a, have a nice meal together. And I said, do you know, I'll stay. And she goes, what, what time are you going back? And I'm like, I'll stay uh, until we'll have dinner, have like a reasonably early dinner and then I'll, I'll hit the road before it gets too dark. Um, and also so we could play one more game of Wingspan mm. before I left. Turns out she found out, um, actually she knew for a very long time, but I just found out that you can play it on your own. Really? Yeah. How do you play a board game on your own? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> And she said, she said, I'm going to work out how to, you know, play it on your own. I'm like, can you play it on your own? She goes, oh, it rolls around. She goes, I've told you that about seven times already. I'm like, okay, well, I guess you'll be learning how to do it. This is a board game, mind you. That Do you remember um, last year I said that we were trying to learn how to play a board game and I could not cope with learning how to play it? Yeah, it's very going. frustrating. I cried a lot mm. and went from multiple walks <laughs> Just to like, I'd come back and go. Oh, I reckon. Okay, I understand. No, nah, I have to walk away from it. But so now I do understand. And it's, is it that board game? Is yeah, it it's wings? the same. Oh, it's the same board game. What a payoff! And now you don't yeah. even need to play it with anyone. Turns out, yeah, don't. And also, you can buy it on Switch. I'm very oh. tempted to do that. Yeah, do it. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Do it, and yeah, maybe maybe if two people buy on Switch, we could play each other, and you don't even have to be in the same room. Oh, wow. um, anyway, so we were like sitting there playing the book, and Kath had got started on dinner, and um, you know we we're just playing. And I look up, and I go, "That's on um, that corn's on fire." <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she went, 
yeah, it's supposed to be like you know had it under the grills making char grilled. Oh yeah, corn. smoky, smoky yeah, corn. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I went, oh okay. And then she turned around and looked and went, oh that's really on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of went, oh dear. And then opened it up and then it was just this. And then she's like, oh, better put them back in. Maybe I'll turn the stove off. That's probably a good, you know, I'll turn the grill off, and that that's probably a good start to. <laughs> getting the flames down um, and I said, why don't you pu- pull it out? And she's like, I don't want to, you know, melt all the knobs. And I was like, oh, yeah, that – but also I just wanted to pull it out because – It's on fire. Well, also because I got the camera out by that stage and I wanted to <laughs> – you couldn't see the fire properly when it was in the grill. So I'm like, get that out so we can get a better picture. <laughs> get a better picture of it. Um, anyway, it was fine. She goes, oh, yeah, well, that's really – I've done a terrific job on that. And then for the rest of the night, I couldn't stop singing, this con is on fire. <laughs> this con is on fire. Anyway, it was delicious though. Oh, Quite that's a- the secret. That's the hack. Yeah, just set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they used to do, isn't it? And Yeah, I guess so. God, it was yum. Um, and had made a beautiful salad to go with it. And um, had some had some fish. Oh well, wow. what a great you. dinner review! Sneaky dinner review I got in there. Didn't yeah, I? I know. It just caught me off guard. Yeah, well done. I didn't Thanks. set anything on fire last night, but um, when have you ever set anything on fire in the kitchen? No, never. But I was trying to. I was trying to think. I was like, have I ever had a real mishap? Because I've told the story before about how my partner, the first time he tried to cook breakfast, set mm. set paper, set stuff on fire in the pan, and yeah. got very frazzled and romance died immediately but um but then he proposed to you after cooking breakfast seven years later yeah that's right yeah so what goes around comes around well done what does that mean for the corn what do you mean like the corn's on fire what's going to be the end story you know next time a big big moment happens is it going to be corn related oh right no oh like our like our full circle yeah what's going to be the um I think it's already there, though, because the corn was on fire and it was delicious. Okay, good. <laughs> so that's fine, I think. Or if we combined it all, it'll be a um, a, a bra full of corn. <laughs> Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop saying about dirt? Digger joins us, bathed in sunshine and refreshed, I'm sure, after two days supervising learning from home. Morning, Digger. Morning, all. How are you? Yeah, well, excellent. Thanks. We're good. Look how cheery I am. Yes! Passionate. <laughs> 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 Thanks for turning it on for us for yeah, 10 minutes. Great, great. <laughs> I am in the attic. Could turn bad. Um, um, to lighten the load, um, talking to Elizabeth, your wonderful producer, about you know different topics for today, and, and something came up about you know plants that, that work in the shade. And I was like, yeah, for too long, you know, when people talk about shade and some of the shady characters like ferns and you know, monstera and those kind of things. And I thought, oh, well, how about we enlighten some people about some getting some tucker, getting some food out of low-light areas? Because 
I'm not sure most people know, but most of your food plants do come from the forest floor. Mm. Um, in their, you know, back in their, you know, their ancestry. So it's it's actually the perfect place for most most ground covers. So thought I'd start there. Do you have any mm. shady spots at home? Uh, yeah, south facing garden. Is that a shady yeah. spot? Yeah, classic south facing. Always going to be some shade. So you know, you can do it inside. Even you know, you can essentially the plants that we use for indoor plants are shade loving plants from outdoors because you know. I don't know of any plants that evolved indoors. Um, so you can use, essentially you've got the same sort of environment, south-facing dark, you can go with these. So I worked up a little list. Ooh, and I thought um, the classic ones to start with. So these are kind of like the first three are kind of no-brainers. Uh, the last few are a little bit tricky. So anyway, the first one to start with, confidence booster, is obviously the mint family. Mm. Now, mint gets a bad rap because it can, you know, it's a ground cover. And it's only just doing what it does uh, by taking off. And I've always said that, you know, first world problem if you've got too much mint growing around your garden, you know, it could be a lot worse. So think of the varieties. Think of common mint, spearmint, Vietnamese mint, apple mint. Um, and one of my, you know, favourites I think more people should grow is chocolate mint. Mm. Have you ever tried chocolate mint? I've just, no. I've just smelt it when I've been at the nursery, just sort of, you know. Yeah. It's just, well, well enough. Do you remember after dinner mints? Yes. I'm yeah, a big chocolate little, mint fan. <laughs> oh, chocolate mint. So there's a little chocolate squares in a paper sleeve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember them? That's them on your pillow in the motel. I remember them. <laughs> oh, mate. I used to remember Saturday nights watching the trots with the family after some sesame prawns. Have some bloody, <laughs> have an after dinner mint. It was just like the highlight of the week to get one of those. It was amazing. <gasps> but yeah, what, what, so what do you use it for? Do, I, you, do you like... It's obviously tea. just tea, like a tea. Okay. Yeah. So, and I know people that have you know, essentially made the tea and then you know reduced it down to create like a little bit of a syrup that could be drizzled on yogurt or ice cream or something are, like that. Are you saying that after dinner chocolate mints are naturally occurring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. <laughs> we can work on that in the lab somewhere. <laughs> So, yeah, the mint family are great. So you can, you know, I'm yet to meet someone, but I'm dying to meet someone who's a mint collector. Mm. Because in, in, my, in my plant world, there's someone who collects, you know, has a collection of, you know, oreganos or whatever it might be. I'm yet to meet a mint person. I really would like to meet someone. So anyway. Why, why not? Are they, is mint perceived to be slumming it or? Yeah. Oh, um, you said slumming it, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah. Because um, yeah, it is just so common and, and relatively easy and very forgiving. So if it's not tricky, it's not cool. Okay. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, if you had a collection of, uh, you know, orchids from Guinea, that might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so go with the mints, confidence booster, inside, outside, in the shade, really, really good. Okay. Parsley, most people think, and on all the labels, see parsley says full sun. Mm. No, it's actually a ground cover from, you know, from the jungles. So everything in the parsley family. So that includes coriander, and it's a perfect time to start growing coriander from seed now. So grow it in a shade, semi-shaded spot. It will slow it down and it will be a little bit leggy, what we call, you know, so like elongated. Mm. But it will still perform quite well. And so, you know, think of how much you pay for coriander at the supermarket. You, know, you can really grow it at home in the shade. Cool. And the shade's better for it because it won't go, it won't bolt as quickly. So sometimes coriander goes to seed very, very quickly. If it's in the shade, that means the temperatures are relatively stable. 
it, they don't rise and fall as quick. So, and that's what makes them go to seed. So, try coriander and parsley in your semi shade, shady spots. Okay. Um, lemon balm. Ooh, that's another good smelling one. Yeah, oh, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful plant itself. It's a little bit taller than some of the others, so it gets up to about 30, 40 centimetres tall and is a creeper, so we'll, we'll run, if you put it into the garden, it will run away from you, but great for keeping weeds down, other weeds down. It suppresses most other things um, and just really good for you. It's used as a relaxant as a tea or a digestive, so, you know, all these things in small amounts. Um, super handy. It's a beautiful flower. It's obviously, again, distant relative in, of the mint family so it has a very similar flower just a beautiful kind of a matte green leaf mm-hmm. love it love lemon balm confidence booster is that another tea sort of plant you, yeah, yeah definitely okay. in a tea and i'd suggest put it near a pass so if there is going to be some sort of access or even if the, you know your pets run through it it mm-hmm. releases this just amazing scent into the air um and just you know you can have your garden smelling like you know brand new bed linen come out of the washing machine it's beautiful Ooh, beautiful yeah a little bit on the trickier side the next one tarragon Ooh. very fancy you know obviously use culinary um so some of these are you know medicinal and some of these are culinary um well the the whole word herb is is you know up for debate there's a there's a common use for it which is a, you know something that we eat but then botanically it's just any seeded plant that dies down is what a herb is mm. so um, hence the, the whole thing, you know, the, the most famous herb is a banana. Oh. Yeah. Uh. So in botany, a banana is a herb. Really? Um, yeah, but rosemary isn't. <laughs> words um, are meaningless, aren't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, words. <laughs> um, so, yeah, tarragon. So it's a little bit tricky. Used in sauces, great with your eggs. So you've got to be very consistent with your watering with tarragon. And so that brings to a good point about all of these. When you're growing any plant, in a low-light environment, obviously it's photosynthesizing a lot less. So all of its functions are slowed down. So you don't need to be watering, you know, frequently, frequently and having it sitting in water because you'll end up with a fungal disease. So Mm. you have to have a tarragon in particular has to be very well drained. So making sure whatever vessel you're putting them in, if you're putting them into a pot, um, has great drainage holes. And you maybe only need to water it like once a week. Mm. Are you are you surprised just to go off piste a little bit that this banana being a herb technically isn't more famous an axiom than you know tomato, fruit, or vegetable? Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I knew. Oh, right, it's common oh, knowledge. Well. It's yeah. super common knowledge. Yeah, well, only idiots don't know that. Yeah, well, evidently. <laughs> talking about shade. Yeah. <laughs> but it depends in the circles, I think, that you walk in, you know. You know Jez has a, a lot of haughty people and horticultural, you know, um, folks around her. Yeah. And, you know, Mon talks to those us kind of folk more frequently. So you yeah, people yeah. That, you people that lurk in the dark, Daniel. Well, actually, dig it. I got, I got your, I got my partner your book for Christmas. So maybe it's uh, all the knowledge in that that I've been learning about well, that herbs. When's, when's your birthday, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> it's been. I'll never tell. <laughs> um, where were we? <laughs> John, we just that was tarragon. Tarragon, tarragon. Um, lucky last one. Um, chives. Um, I love chives. And so the beauty about growing chives in the shade is that as you cut them, 
because they're struggling to photosynthesize, yeah, well, they're not, I wouldn't say struggle is probably not the word, but it's, it's more of an effort to photosynthesize in low light. The plant needs to have more leaves to be able to photosynthesize to get to the point to produce a seed. Yeah, it has to build energy over its lifetime. So if you just keep chopping a little bit of chives, because you really only need three leaves once a month, well, mm. in my household, that's about as much chives as we eat. But yeah, yep. um, so it will slowly then replace those <laughs> leaves. So you're just keeping it from having the ability to go to flower, to go to seed, to finish it, finish its life cycle by growing it in the shade. So just a few chops here and there, and you actually extend its life by doing that. So mm. chives in the sh- in the shade is another cracker. Cool. So if you are going to maximise the space in your garden, is it possible to all the stuff that you've mentioned, uh, put them, like if you're going to stagger heights in your garden? and Yeah, use them as filler. So yeah. whatever permanent stuff you have in there and then just chuck, you know, half a dozen of these things around. Even if you, they're in pots, to, to be able, if your soil's a bit heavy, a bit clay, you can still have these things in pots and sit the pots in the garden. Old-time gardeners do this all the time, move stuff around, have a bit of flexibility and just have a beautiful ornamental pot of tarragon tucked in underneath, you know, a monstera in the backyard. Yeah. And if you find, it's a good way then if you find that it does really well, whatever it might be, that you can eventually plant it in there, put, take it out of the pot and put it into that soil and off it goes and it will, and it will take off and essentially naturalise. That's what we want our gardens to do, put the right plant in the right spot so that they naturalise and then that diminishes their volume of water and fertiliser and everything that we have to use and be way more sustainable about the way that we plant out our gardens. It shouldn't be, I want this there, therefore I'll baby it. It yeah. should be, this likes to grow there, let's pop it in there and let Mother Nature do her thing. Yeah, right, brilliant. Uh, oh, yes, we want now, listeners want to know the name of the book. Give it give it one last bell. <laughs> Uh, me or you guys? Oh, no, you, let's not, mate. Is it the urban... It's, it's the urban farmer. <laughs> the urban farmer. Sorry. It's a, yeah. we, we, we forced your arm into that. You don't care. Um, Digger, he doesn't Pasay. remember them names. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> exactly. That dude, that dude with the dirty pants. <laughs> um, good luck with school today and uh, thanks heaps. Talk soon. Magic. Four thanks. plus four is eight. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. Planetarium Nights at Science Work has made its long-awaited return to tell us more about it. We are very excited to be joined once again by Museum Victoria Senior Curator of Astronomy, Dr Tanya Hill. Welcome back to Breakfasters. Hi, nice to talk to you guys again. Yeah, it's been a while. It's nice to talk to you. Now, for those who that haven't been to Planetarium Nights, tell us what happens. Yeah, so... What we decided uh, a couple of years ago was to actually make sure we could open the planetarium at a time for just adults. So it's only for over 18s because, you know, the kids get to play in the planetarium and science works during the day. So we thought it was a great chance for adults to come and enjoy their experience. And so we offered two shows every Friday night. The first one at 7.30 is an astronomy-based show. And along with that, we include our What's in the Sky Tonight. So if you want to know which stars and planets you can ah. see in the night sky, that's the one to go to. And then at 9 o'clock, we love the fact that the planetarium is such an amazing cinematic experience with its 360-degree dome. And there are artists out there who are creating content for that environment. So at 9 o'clock, we get to show some sometimes experimental, arty 
type films that really take advantage of that uh, new way of viewing uh, the, the screen and, and cinema. Uh, it is pretty amazing to watch a film when you're in the planetary. Like you, the seats are so nice, and it's because you <laughs> recline so much. Do you? Do people fall asleep though? I must admit, I'm, when I give live presentations, sometimes I'm a little worried that if I turn the lights up, will I just have 150 odd people asleep? Because it is very relaxing, and it's so because I think you lie back, mm. so that physical experience, and then the fact that. Um, if you're projecting the stars, it's very mm. relaxing and calming. Uh, although, you know, some of these visuals, they it's like you're flying through space or the dome itself disappears and it's like you're kind of travelling along a huge column up into the sky. It's pretty amazing. So I think it'll keep you engaged enough that you'll keep those eyes wide open. Awesome. And the other great thing about it is there, there is a bar as well. I was going to ask, what makes it adults only? That would be it, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, so we've got the bar set up there so you can also enjoy a glass of wine uh, while you enjoy your planetarium show. So, yeah, it's a really great night. Uh, in You've just scraped in the first one before we um, went on our circuit breaker. How did that go? Uh, yes, yeah, so we're in February. So each month, what I should explain is that each month we run different shows. So at the moment on our website, we have the February, March programs uh, up and ready for purchasing tickets, but it will extend for the rest of the year. We're just oh. in the process of working out what um, and, and getting the content So because it changes up uh, different every month. So, you know, if you've been one month, you can always come back again if you enjoy oh, it. That is such a um, relief because I was looking at the dates and thinking, I don't think I can go and to And February's any of these. sold out as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they, they generally sell out anyway. And, of course, with the COVID restrictions, we're down to limited seating okay. uh, as well. So, uh, yes, yeah, so February sold out. But we do have tickets for March. Uh, and in March we're running the astronomy show as Dark Matter Mystery. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but we don't know what makes up about 25% of the universe. It's Ooh. this dark matter. And so this show takes you into what scientists are doing to try and uncover uh, what that dark matter is, how it holds galaxies together and stops everything flying off into space. And then at 9 o'clock, our art-based show is called Dimensions, and it's really engaging. It, it just prompts you with different kind of out there questions such as, you know, could there be other dimensions that we can't see? You know, what is reality or are we part of a simulation? You know, are there other universes out there? And then it just takes you on this amazing ride with music and visuals uh, to explore those ideas. Oh, those questions. <laughs> I, just, I just go... I can't think about it unless I've got a glass of wine in my hand. And then lying down in <laughs> a comfy helps. chair. Yeah. Quite a few people, I guess, picked up some new interests and, and hobbies over the past 12 months. Um, you know, we had a bit more time on our hands, perhaps. Uh, have you noticed an increase in people being more interested in looking up at the stars? Uh, look, I can always say I hope so. Mm. Uh, we're always trying to put out information to make it a bit easier for people to enjoy the night sky. Uh, and, I mean, especially at the moment, there's all the excitement about the Mars lander uh, happening. And Mars is looking brilliant in the northwest sky oh. in the evening. So I definitely encourage people to get out and have a look. There's that, something's happening today with the Perseverance rover, for those who don't know what that is, like me. Do you, 
<laughs> it's a big so day for Mars. Yeah, yeah, the Perseverance rover, it's, uh, it'll be NASA's fifth rover to land on Mars, which is quite an amazing achievement because landing on Mars is not easy. And it's going, a lot, all the headlines say uh, it's the 18th of February, um, which is today, but of course uh, it's in American time zone. So in fact, all the action is going to be just before 8am tomorrow morning, okay. our time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but if you do go out tonight and if you see the moon, just to the which way? Just to the right of the moon will be a little reddish object, mm. and that will be Mars. The, the easiest way to find, like, they don't twinkle, yeah. Planet, exactly, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, also, like, given during lockdown when there was, you know, lack of activity, I guess, less cars on the road and you know lights and stuff, was it easier to get a good view of the stars in the city? Uh, yeah, look, I think though a lot of city buildings were still lit up and things, so the light pollution didn't drop as much. But it is amazing what you can see. I know just on the weekend it was such a beautiful night mm. um, and I, I'm, I live just near the planetarium, so we do have quite a bit of light pollution in the sky. But I still drag the kids outside and, you know, said, this is the Southern Cross and here's Mars and this is Orion. <laughs> and, you know, they were, oh, yeah. Well, it, it was tough to drag them out there, but I think once you do, they did get engaged. So it's worth having a look anyway. Yeah. Oh, well, if the kids don't like it, who cares? Because they can't come to Planetarium nights. <laughs> Exactly. It's just for us. Uh, excellent. So for tickets, you can go to museumvictoria.com.au slash scienceworks. Um, and I'd recommend, yeah, getting onto it pretty soon. That looks like they'll, they'll sell out. Uh, Dr. Tanya Hill, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, lovely to see you again. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Triple R. 8.46 and 16 seconds and it's time for the Breakfasters Breakdown Quiz. The Breakfasters Breakdown Quiz. That is where you are, that is what you're listening to. Boom. Um, I'm your host, Geraldine Hickey, and joining me are our two contestants. As always, the running champions, they're both back. Monsevere and Daniel Birch. Hello, everyone. Thanks very much. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, a bit of crowd noise. (laughs) Thanks for clapping along at home. Um, (laughs) I hope you are enjoying the show so far. Um, Now, Daniel, you had the day off yesterday. You were a bit ill, uh, but still... Sprained a rib. Yeah. Yeah. What? Don't know what that is. Sounds embarrassing. It's not, though. No, Any, cool. no injury is right. embarrassing. Also got mm. coronavirus tested negative. That's good. And I she think... said, she goes, she shoves it down my gullet. And then I must have looked like I was about to cry. And she goes, are you okay? Everybody <laughs> cries, But I thought they? I was like, I was like tough and resilient. But she obviously. She said, you weak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, and how did you sprain your rib? No idea. Mm. But. As I was driving here this morning, because I've been driving a lot, like yeah. f- sometimes four or five hours a day, so oh. especially outside the 5K radius during the lockdown. No, yeah. but, but before that. <laughs> um, and I, this is embarrassing. It might very well be changing gears with my left hand. And this is mm. – I don't think driving's for you. I don't think so either. 
Maybe, or maybe your seat is just too far back. You are need you, to put your you... seat forward. You had your problem with your foot from putting, and I reckon that's from stretching it out too much trying to reach the pedals. Yeah. And now you're stretching too much trying to reach the gears. Put your seat forward. Dad, dad driving, he puts his seat so far back yeah. that nobody can sit behind him. Oh. And then even when there's five people in the car, he does not compromise <laughs> on his posture. It's just reprehensible. So I've always done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's crack on All with right. the Please, no, no, no. First of all, we need to hear your buzzer noises. Daniel. Well, I just heard Annalisa. Now I want it to be spunk, but that's got the double because the record. Yeah. What about. <laughs> you can, if you want that. What? Okay. Oh, yeah. I was going to go for a low tone, but that's okay. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, okay. that is pretty good, actually. I like Some these life. this week. <laughs> Uh, okay, so there's ten questions, and the winner will receive a pat on the back yeah. from themselves. Here we go. Here we go. Question number one. <clears throat> uh, Simone reviewed The Put Truffle Hunters. God, yeah, Tuesday day I wasn't here. Sure. Listen to the whole question, yep. please. You don't need to have... Anyway, Simone reviewed The Truffle Hunters this week. Uh-huh. Where is the movie set? <laughs> there you Will go. The country do? Italy? Yes. Thank you. Correct. So Daniel gets one point. See? Maybe you could keep your... Judgments Carping. until I yeah, yeah. finish it's the question. Unsportsmanlike, mm. anyway. Mm. Question number two: What celebrity do I think I could be friends with? Owen Wilson. Yep. Because I watched what movie? <coughs> uh, Marley. And, it's not another question. No, I was just playing Marley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> Fee Wright reviewed the speechwriter. Oh yeah. What animal is on the front cover of the book? Oh, oh. There you go, Mon. A prawn. A prawn. That is correct. Uh, and it is explained, apparently, in the book. Why? Uh, two points to Daniel, one point to Mon. On to question number four. Laura Dunneman and myself have mm. entered a fun run. I don't know if I've mentioned that before, but we, mm. we're, we're doing a fun run, raising money for Dementia Australia. What is the name <coughs> of our team? Oh, Daniel? It's the funny runners. Yes. Correct. However, yeah. there was a text that I think oh. was a pretty good suggestion. Yes. Running joke. Running joke is a really like it was. Oh, we've mucked, yeah. we've mucked this up. Next year though. Next year, running joke. Running joke will be the team name. If I do it again, geez, mm. we'll see what happens. Um, all right. So three points to Daniel, two points to Mon. Here we go. Do you have two points? No, I have one. She's got ahead of myself there. Sorry, nearly, anyway. I get an extra point for being honest about it. Yeah. We'll see what happens at okay. the end. <clears throat> Nobody likes a brown nose. So doc- <laughs> question number five. <laughs> Dr Tanya Hill, Senior Curator of Astronomy at Museums Victoria, told us about Planetarium Nights happening at Science Works. 
What makes it an adults only <laughs> event? There's a bar. Congratulations, Mon. That's Thank the answer I was looking for. You can drink alcohol while looking up at the stars. Pretty hard, isn't it? Only on your back? Well, I think you have a drink before you go in and oh, then have a little lie down. Because, yeah. you know, films, you watch films like 20 minutes or something. and then Oh, yeah, I see. Go look at the stars. Yeah. It sounds so good. Uh, question number six. Um, Digger. Has fond memories of Saturday night watching the trots with his family, having sesame prawns, and then tucking into ah. what? Oh, yeah. After dinner mints. Yeah. Oh, oh what a picture that is. What because, a perfect evening. Yeah. Because <laughs> chocolate mint comes as an herb. Yeah, there's an herb. There's a tree. You can buy chocolate mint, plant it. It's yummy. I want to have a go of it. Question number seven. All right, even even scores right now. Yeah. Three points all. <clears throat> Doesn't happen very often. I'm a bit worried about winning anyway because this pat on the back. Oh, you have to do it yourself. You might bruise you another but, but I was talking to the uh, osteo and he's <laughs> I mentioned that I was hitting it with a baseball bat. Oh, yeah. hitting it? Well, you were there. You were rolling. I thought you were just roll. Using no, it. no, I was whacking it. And he oh. goes, you mean rolling it and like a pin? I'm like, no, I was going the tonk. Mm. Oh, he that said, is please step out of my <laughs> clinic. <laughs> There's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. You, well, here we go. <clears throat> Question number seven doesn't happen very often, but I uh, recently discovered I was better than Kath at something. What was it? Mm. Oh, how embarrassing. This is terrible even, radio, but also... Do you even listen to the yeah, stories exactly. that that's, I tell on That's what makes this air? very hard for me. It's no not... points for oh, look anybody. At Mon's... I was looking at the text line just to yeah, see. Yeah, it's not cheat, which is huh. fine. It's we a good cheating have... idea. <laughs> well, it's not Swingspan, is it? No. Yeah, Hang good. on. Give us a clue. It involves water. Oh, Stand yeah. up paddle boarding. Well, there you go. You get one point back yeah. for, for yourself, but at the moment it's one point to Mon Stand and zero points to Daniel. <clears throat> <laughs> um, our mate Shorty has a new show on the grid. What's the name <laughs> of the show? Oh, Mon. Bright Lights. Bright Lights on Friday nights. Uh, you are, is there a baseball bat in the studio? <laughs> oh. Here we go. Question number nine. Oh, I've only written nine questions. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> you got to think of one on the fly. All right. Question number nine. What's the name of the um of the board game that Kath and I play? Like? Yep. Wingspan. Yeah. Well done. Did you? Would you have known that if she hadn't have said it twenty seconds ago? It helped. Yeah. There you go. Um, Hang on. What's the score? Uh, mine's got two points and you've got one. What oh, happened to all the original? Did we etch a sketch it? I took away all your points for you not listening to me and remembering the things board. that I've said during the week. Yep, stand up. I remember board. everything about it. It's inflatable. Well, it's too late. Um, Glenn, it's Glenn too also late. texted in and just said that um, I'm on a saw at work and Daniel's buzzer is going to make me chop my finger off. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll turn it down. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I've been logged out of the thing, so I can't really think of it. Final question. Um, <clears throat> all right, final question. Uh, Jonathan Schuster's 
thinks that he doesn't get bitten by leeches because why? <laughs> Daniel. He doesn't have the fear. Yeah. They, they smell fear. They smell fear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so congratulations. Um, I think... I am the winner <laughs> for coming up with the final answer. So, yeah. Good on me. Pat myself on the back. Keep Do you that. Need a <laughs> See you next week on the Breakfasters Breakdown Quiz. Have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.